0: The final champion has been crowned and the season is done. We're going to talk about all of that here on this episode of The Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we are back again. Episode number 137 of The Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick Eastwell. We have a champion in the Atlantic League. What we don't have is any more independent league baseball for 2021, and that is rather unfortunate.
1: Yeah, it's sad, but all baseball seasons have to come to an end. So uh, at least it stretched out a lot longer than it normally does. So
0: that is that, true. that's
1: a plus. But uh, but yeah, like the uh, we do have a, chan- a champion in the Atlantic League.
0: Yep. And we are going to talk all about that champion right now on this episode. And that champion, of course, would be the Lexington Legends who won the Atlantic League Championship Series in four games, three to one over the Long Island Ducks. The Ducks made their fifth straight Atlantic League Championship. However, uh, they were unable to come away with the victory in this one. Uh, really, the way I could kind of describe it is when they were on Long Island, they were more competitive, much closer games where I don't think either team looked like they were really pulling away with the series. But then the second it got to Lexington, it just didn't feel like that anymore. Maybe game three, game three, at least on paper, looked close. And the eighth inning is what really made it uh, an exciting game. Cause I mean, it was, it was close when you look at the score, certainly. But game four just was never, never really in doubt. I don't think.
1: Yeah, and I think that this really just shows how powerful that Lexington offense is. And the funny thing is, is during that West Virginia series that Lexington was playing, Courtney Hawkins, despite having an awesome season, really didn't get going at all in that series, and then just just absolutely caught fire in this Long Island series. And uh, the Legends lineup with him on top of his game, I mean, it just wasn't fair, uh, and the Ducks were able to hang around at home a little bit, but once they got, once the series shifted uh, to to Lexington, um, and it, the Legends were able to, to uh, they were able to pull out that game three. The, you could tell at least that it, it was re- going to be really tough for the Ducks to win two in a row uh, on the road in Lexington, and they weren't able to, as like, the Legends just absolutely pounced on them in game four and really put that away, uh, removing any doubt. So just the Lexington offense was, we talked about the battle between the Long Island pitching and the Lexington offense, and undoubtedly that Lexington offense came out on top.
0: Yeah, but in hindsight, when I said I believe that Long Island was a more well-rounded team, I still do think in a sense they were more well-rounded, but I think the critical thing I forgot to really factor in was how much of an offense-driven league that the atlantic league really became this year much more so than in years past where really this year lexington found the key to winning which was get the best hitters you can then just find two or three really reliable arms that you can go to bullpen or rotation wise manage them well and just fill them out with a bunch of other capable arms they don't need to all be grade a type players but as long as you know grade c grade b they'll manage to do the job because i mean in the league where an era sub five is viewed as like this amazing effort yeah it it really distorts all sorts of notions and i think a lot of us including myself really had a hard time Wrapping our heads around that the whole season. And you mentioned Courtney Hawkins. I mean, it, the dude went off. It, obviously, he's the series MVP. I'm not sure if they officially announced. I believe they said so. The dad, yeah. Oh, and they announced. Yeah. I, I know there was some confusion about that, but two for four, then a two for five. I believe then he went 0 for 3 in game 3, but then he well for made up for that in game 4 when he goes 3 for 5, scores 3 runs, drives home 5 runs. I don't think it's uh, going to be anyone surprised who the last player of the week is going to be in this week's uh, weekly roundup uh, one bit. But yeah, the, the Lexington offense just was too much to overcome in the league that really was saturated with a lot of offensive talent it just became ever, ever so more clear that Lexington was ahead of the pack this past week.
1: And it's a much different league this year than it has been in, in years past, where we can talk about like pitching and stuff like that, because even though Long Island had a, had the best pitching in the league, undoubtedly yeah, um, it was pretty, it's not like their pitching was good. Uh, just because they were the best in the league doesn't mean it was necessarily good. So uh, Lexington, even though a lot of their arms struggled, they got, they, they got some, some quality innings out of the guys they needed. I know the game that, that I was at in game one on Long Island, uh, the, that, the middle, that middle relief group for Lexington that they really had been struggling to find uh, for most of the second half really showed up. And, that made a really big difference for them. And to, when you know that you're not going to win any, uh, pitching duel type games, I mean, you can make the argument for game three, uh, with that great, uh, with Scott Harkin on the mound for the yeah. ducks. Uh, but just, just overall, I think just this year was weird in that sense. Uh, and again, the Lexington offense, just way too powerful, uh, for the, for the ducks to overcome in a series that, you know, it went four games, but, uh, it wasn't all it wasn't all that close in a lot of ways uh, but and they could the Long Island could be a, certainly a more well-rounded team overall but I think in a series when you just match them up uh, I think Lexington's uh, lineup one to nine was was too powerful I mean you look at and I know Tillman Pugh uh, was injured at the end of the series but uh, their game one lineup where you got Ben Aklinski hitting eighth and Tillman Pugh hitting ninth, two guys who hit over 25 home runs and drove, and both drove in over 100 runs, and they're your eight and nine hitter. I mean, it's just unfair. It's just unfair. And the Ducks, from that point on, were uh, they, struggled, they struggled to get outs when they needed to, and uh, it led to Lexington pretty much cruising in this one.
0: Certainly. And I do want to go back to one thing you said, which is it's a much different league. And I think when we get later into the off season, because we're only really at the, the very beginning of it. I mean, the off season's really only begun a few days ago when everyone's listening to this. We're going to kind of talk about that. I want to go into more depth about is this kind of new look at Atlantic League good almost? Like, obviously, the league's still very talented. I mean, you look at the talent level, it's still very, very high. But it's, at least for me, it was hard to keep a lot of my interest in the league and even just to follow the league this year because of how radically different all the stat lines were, the style of play was, to all the other leagues that were playing, you know? Like, you watch a Frontier League game, and yeah, they tend to be a little bit higher scoring than your average baseball game, but it was still within the bounds of, you know, normalcy. You weren't seeing, you know... Fifteen guys that all have twenty plus home runs in the season, you're seeing like, okay, there's a handful of guys that are, and I know obviously the game's played different too. I mean, there's a solid thirty game difference there, so that's going to have a serious effect on you know your stat totals, but even like the American Association, which is probably the closest comparison you could make to an Atlantic League, just felt like a more compelling league to watch and to follow. It felt as weird as it is to say more like baseball just because, well, yeah, they had some gaudy power numbers too, and they had some really solid offensive producers, it just felt like a more well-organized league where, you know, having pitchers with an ERA under four was not like this abnormal thing. It was like, yeah, every team's got a handful of guys that are really good at pitching. And I just, I do wonder, like, that kind of general feel of the league. Like, obviously what's done is done, and obviously, you know, teams that found a way to you know, adapt to this kind of new look Atlantic League as it almost is, you know, did well, Lexington being the poster child for that. It just, it's something that I do think later on, I I want to go back to and talk about because it is such a different league. And like I said, it's not all for, for the worse, but it's also not all for the better almost, you know?
1: Right. I I think that a lot of the rules were, were kind of, formed around the idea of trying to create more offense. Now, I don't know. I don't think there's evidence to support that the rules were the ones that made this change, because I do think that let's say there weren't any rules involved. I still think this might've been inevitable. Yeah. I I don't honestly don't know if, uh, I mean, we talk about the the new look Atlantic league. I think this was inevitable no matter what. And I, I don't think the partnership or the mound being moved back, really had a whole lot to do with it because it kind of did seem like the mound itself, that, that had a pretty minimal impact on uh, on the games itself. Like you you kind of hardly notice it at the end of the year. And to be honest with you, it it's not it's not like it had its intended effect. It kind of just had no effect.
0: Yeah. Um, well, outside creating a whole hell of a lot of controversy and bad press around it and creating a major yeah. headache for the league. It did do that. It's very successful. Yeah.
1: Yes, certainly, Uh, and I I do think that it's going to be an issue that the league is going to have to address because a league without quality pitching uh, is not going to be as popular among a lot of their, around a lot of their hardcore supporters. I mean, attendance was down across the league. It probably has a a little bit more to do with COVID than than the quality of play, Uh, but I definitely do see your point when you say that that you know, the Atlantic League is a little bit tougher to tougher to follow just because uh I mean the games were so long and like game like game and not to say that like I'm a huge like pace of play guy because I'm not but when game one of the series took just under four hours. Game two took a little over four hours, I believe. It's it's tough to get people to lock in and stay at the one, stay at the games for that long and two, watch the games to stay engaged, even when they're not there. And that's with, with, with a game that's that long. Uh, and I, again, I don't think that's a rule. That's, I don't think that's something that rules are going to fix. I think that's something that, that rosters are going to have to fix. So I, I think that's when uh, the Atlantic is going to have to go back to the drawing board. And I mean, cause you never saw this many guys who were coming at least on the pitching side, straight out of college, right? Uh, sh- like straight out of college, like pitching on z- Saturdays or Sundays. I mean, in the case of Kyle Murphy from Southern Maryland, pitching Friday nights for Northeastern and sometimes against my school, Hofstra, and then a couple of months later, you're pitching in the Atlantic League playoffs. That that cannot be good for the league. And I'm not saying teams had any uh, choice in that. I think they were just taking who was available. But uh, that's something that, at least for the future of the league, that's going to have to change if they want to restore uh, if they want to restore what reputation they had before all this as being the premier independent league in uh, in in all of uh, in, in the US. And I know that's a long that's a long answer to yeah. that to a pretty short question but But, uh, there's definitely some things they're gonna have to look
0: at yeah but it is an in-depth answer to an important question there and i mean guys like kyle murphy have traditionally been more frontier league type players because that that's more of a league for younger guys i mean hell even a pioneer league which apparently i'm supposed to include with the major three independent leagues now at least according to some folk on Twitter. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think even though we're going to talk about the Pioneer League probably later on, I still think they're a couple of years away before I can really kind of include them into the mix. But that's neither here nor there. It's still weird to see these kind of younger guys pitch in an Atlantic League that traditionally is catered to those more guys that have the a bare minimum double-A experience, but mostly triple-A and some former major league experience as well, that that's kind of been the bread and butter of this league for a while and kind of been the draw, and obviously that's changed. And I do want to cut them a little bit of slack when it comes to the pitching too, because, I mean, we saw a lot of pitchers get their contracts purchased this year from across independent league baseball. So when you're losing, like, two guys a week, it's really hard to kind of keep refilling it, and there's only so many guys you can go to. And it's going to become a problem fairly quick. As far as the pace of play goes, the times for each of the games, game one was three hours and 52 minutes. Game two, yep, game two was three hours and 25 minutes. Game three was three hours and 14 minutes. And then game four was a brisk three hours and one minute. So all over three hours. I think if you can keep them all within that like three and a quarter hours, Long range, it'll be fine. But you can't have games go three and a half, or even in the case of Game One, which you were calling Will, uh uh-huh. four hours. Which I imagine I that was, was running, fun.
1: I'm not gonna lie; like near the end, I was kind of running on fumes. I'm like, I'm trying to create some some kind of energy, and like, and the game was, and the Ducks made that close at the end, so that that wasn't that helps. At all just yeah, yes. But you know, it it just. It took a long time. Like a- every inning took a long time, and you know, like when game two is like seven to five after three innings. And I know it didn't. E- I know it didn't necessarily end that way, but uh, yeah. But I-, I do think. I-, I do think the pace of play, and I don't even know what it'd be like during during the regular season. I mean, you think about those. Uh, you remember if you remember that uh oh. Lancaster Gastonia game from earlier in the year? Oh that, yeah. Or Lancaster York games that are taking
0: four hours. Yeah, for the Lexington games no against Estonia too. The ones oh, yeah. where Lexington puts up nineteen on them, it's like yeah. this. It's just not not good. I mean, you start getting in the Pioneer League territory when you start putting up these numbers, and that's something that admittedly, I'm not gonna lie, went against the Pioneer League and me taking them seriously. I'm like, look. In some of those games, twenty-five, thirty runs were getting put up on the board in the Pioneer League, and I'm just thinking, this is—it's hard for me to take this kind of a league seriously when that kind of offense is coming here. Yeah,
1: and, and even—and even in its affiliated days, the Pioneer League was very hitter-friendly, not necessarily yeah. because of the quality of pitching, just because of the atmosphere that they played in. Yeah, but—but uh, but, you know, like some of the scores we saw in the Frontier League were,
0: were oh, Pioneer were League,
1: pretty. Oh, yes. Pioneer League, not frontier League, yeah. silly me, but uh yeah, but the the point still stands, yeah. I think that's that's not a ter- not the territory the Atlantic League wants to be in, and mm-hmm. hey, I think we uh, i think we uh like we saw the American Association have a very successful season and at least the most normal yeah
0: league, i think
1: yeah. you could you could certainly say yeah i I would
0: certainly agree with that, and also, I mean, just a very good case for me, that Kansas City was the best team across the board this year. I mean, I think they had the most wins too uh, across all the the leagues, despite playing fewer games if you want to get down to it. And uh, I do want to bring up one last point about the offense, and then we'll get back into actually talking about the series, because that's what we're supposed to be talking about here, but it was a good tangent to go on. I think part of the problem too is, we lost more pitcher-friendly ballparks. Somerset's been a place where, historically speaking, pitchers have done well there. And same thing with Sugarland, that That wasn't exactly the most hitter-friendly ballpark. And then when you replace them with more, you know, high A-level ballparks in like a Lexington and a Charleston, it's going to become more hitter-friendly. And factor in some rules, certainly having some effect, although not terribly much, and then just the quick depletion in pitcher talent, it's and not really much depletion in the hitter talent, it's creating a perfect storm for offense. So it is an interesting, like... It's an interesting problem for the league to have to try and solve now because a lot of those things are out of your control. You can't control the ballpark you really play in because that's the ballpark you playing in. You can't control what players get purchased because that's the whole point of existence is to move guys along. And like, yeah, you can control the rules, but only to a certain point because Major League Baseball has such a heavy say in it. So it just it's a very interesting position to be in because there's no clear-cut answer to the problem at hand.
1: Right, right. I, I agree. I think, I, I think that uh, I, I, th- I would say that it is a interesting problem that they they have, uh, and it's not. It really isn't an, an easy fix, and I think that's something that they'll definitely have to address because another season like this, I don't, I don't know if it can go on.
0: Yeah, it's just, and it's not even just like i I'm not sure the league can continue to 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 operate kind of thing it's just more of i don't know if the league can continue to hold this kind of stature it's held for so long especially because you see how good of a job the american association has done in fan interaction and putting on a good product and say what you will about the streaming models and whatnot the american association tv does its damn best to give you what you pay for Like, I'm still locked in at the promotional rate of 20 for the year. And I got to be honest, at the time when it came out, I was like, 20 seems a bit steep. After having it for two full years and going through it and watching all the content and everything and having like their weekly review show that has features and everything on it, it's well worth the money I pay for it. I'm not sure if I pay the monthly fee for it, but it does its absolute best. And I can only imagine they're going to add more to it. So that's a whole element that's very good. Plus uh, Carter Deals whole like uh, whip arounds on I think it's Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter and all that. And like it's like thrice weekly show too. They do their best to give you a lot of content and make it easy to follow the league. So you just see two leagues on a different trajectory. Although I think the Atlantic League just has kind of an easier path to stay at the top because they're already there. They have an inbuilt fan base and people that want them to succeed. Obviously, we all want every league to succeed. But yeah, it's just an interesting position to be in. But, you know.
1: And uh, it was good to see the Atlantic League social media pick up a little bit, at least. Like posting the highlights, you never would have seen them do that before. So I wonder what changed.
0: Absolutely. It's almost like immediately after we put the episode out, they started getting on that. So I'm going to claim responsibility for that, even if we're not responsible for that.
1: Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Nick behind the scenes is. I mean, we can't trust Nick these days. So I don't yeah,
0: know. You can't trust me at all. I'm not a trustworthy person. But you know, maybe, maybe I hacked into their account and started posting things. Who knows? Maybe that's what I'm doing.
1: He was just that sick of it.
0: Exactly. I, I, I couldn't take this non-content anymore. But uh, yeah, I suppose we should actually get into some of these games. Talk about that quickly and then we'll move on to other topics here but yeah being that this is supposed to be the review of the the uh, atlantic league championship series we haven't done too much talking about the actual games here so game one uh lexington jumps out to an early 2-0 lead uh long island answers back takes a lead lexington ties it up and then lexington kind of starts to pull away from it but not without some ninth inning dramatics from the ducks i'll let the guy that was there and calling the game kind of take over and tell us more about the game
1: Right, so as far as Lexington got off to a good start, like Hawkins hit an absolute mammoth home run. Brendan Feldman really struggled with command most of the game. Uh, that was that was not ideal for the Ducks, but uh, they the Ducks had their big four run third inning that was really aided by Eli Garcia, the Lexington starter, like a big throwing error that scored two runs. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't all clean. Uh, clean baseball in that sense, uh, but the the middle relievers for the for the bull uh, for the Lexington Legends did a really really good job. I mean, Sean Blackwell really cleaned up the mess well. Uh, Henry Owens was electric. He was really good. Like his he was throwing strikes. His stuff looked great. Uh, and then Derek Self had had a quick eighth inning. Austin Adams struggled a little bit in the ninth. A big win for lexington uh he, he despite adam struggling i mean the, the last out of the game was chris shaw hitting a ball into the right center gap that i uh, i thought could have gotten down but uh it was able to get run down by cole sturgeon and and that ended that but it was a very entertaining game uh and long island almost came back but lexington got a got a big game one victory on the road
0: yeah and then uh Long Island, there. You look at their bullpen. It seems like they had some issues, just without, not with Leone, but more so with the other uh, relievers. There, it looks like, at least from the box score.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought, I thought they were all right. Yeah. Um, and again, this Lexington lineup just smashes. So, uh, I, I kind of viewed more of their problems along the lines of. Uh, of Brendan Feldman just had a was pretty brutal starting and honestly like the the legends left a lot of men on base they left 11 on to the game uh they they had chances early on and Feldman kind of tiptoed out of trouble Mm. so the score could have been a lot worse uh for for Long Island but they were able to keep them in it uh but yeah the bullpen did did a decent job but Mm. uh ultimately too much for Lexington. Uh, in the
0: end. Yep. And of course, Lou Ford just did Lou Ford things again.
1: Playing left field. How about that?
0: I told you. The man can do it all. Then also, I'd love to see that Freddie was calling a game. Was that? i love to see that Freddie was in the box score calling a game.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I... I...
0: Alright, we'll move on to uh, game two here. This is where the Ducks kind of even up the series. A lot of offense early on and then really kind of Pattered out as it went on. Long Island gets a big four run first inning. Lexington answers back in their half of the second. Long Island retakes a lead. Lexington gets their first lead, makes it 7-5. Then in the fourth, ties it up, is Long Island. Then two quick runs in five and six to take a 9-7 victory. It just seems like a real back and forth kind of game where neither starter was really good. But as you got deeper into the bullpen, uh, things got better.
1: For sure. I think it was just an, a wild start to the game. I mean, after three innings, it was seven to five. Uh, but, uh, and of course, like Bren Phillips homered, uh, he had a great game, three for five. Hawkins kept hitting. Uh, but yeah, the, the starters were not very good. Darren Downs had a pretty rough postseason, uh, that he, uh, of course, he came into the season not really expecting to pitch yeah uh and uh, as the, he was just gonna be the pitching coach and then he kind of got thrown in there uh so not not totally on him but uh, he wasn't great but rob griswold closing it out down the stretch uh the, i mean the really the ducks bullpen did a very good job in, in this game keeping keeping lexington at bay and letting their offense come back a little bit and that, that's what they did and long island got a really really big win to even the series
0: Absolutely, and this was really kind of where, especially Vladimir Frias. I mean, he did a very good job, five for five, is always yeah. a good day. But
1: and he was like, and he was like one for sixteen in the playoffs coming into that game. Like he was, he he was pretty rough coming in, yeah. and he just uh, everything started to fall, and everything started to click for him, and uh, that was big for Long Island.
0: Oh, absolutely, there, and it was at this point where I kind of felt like, okay, I'm going to be right. It's going to be four games, Long Island. They got this. And then we get to our game three. The, sh- the scene shifts to Kentucky. And we start to get better performances out of the starters. Harkin goes six innings, three earned runs for him. So not a bad start. J.J. J. Hoover does a fantastic job of six innings, of four hit ball, only one earned run that comes across here. And this game started to get a little bit more... Uh, interesting I think Long Island and Lexington not much scoring going on really throughout the first five innings it's 1-1 going into the sixth when Lexington gets there too. in the bottom of the sixth seventh inning no scoring eighth inning is where it gets crazy Long Island answers back ties it up then Lexington puts up a three-piece to take the 6-3 victory in the ninth inning all in all a uh, less offensive driven game than we had seen more pitching performances here self obviously not as good blowing a save but getting a win so it works out there but all in all a lot more i think even keel kind of game more of a traditional atlantic league style game
1: yeah thank goodness we finally got some good starting pitching in this game and you, you kind of figured uh with the major league veteran jj hoover and scott harkin in this game a really good pitching matchup and that is what we got they both Pitched very well over, over six innings. Uh, but that big, uh, that, that big explosion, and it was a tight game throughout. I mean, Davidson Romero, we know his postseason heroics, a dramatic eighth inning home run, uh, to tie the game at three. And then, uh, and then in the bottom of the eighth, the, the legends kind of really took it to them. I mean, a, a Ben Revere double, a Baldequin single, and a Silverio single, uh, kind of made this one, uh, not total, not totally out of reach, uh, but it was really a, g- a great job by that Lexington offense in the bottom of the eighth inning um, against against the Ducks bullpen and the the Legends bullpen. I mean Derek uh, Derek Self struggled, but Austin Adams a nice bounce back outing, uh, and their late offense uh, was they held the, the the Ducks held the Legends offense in check for most of the game, but couldn't do it in the eighth, and that's what ended up being the difference.
0: Yep, and it, the thing is, too, there really wasn't, like, with the exception of one or two guys on each side, a guy that jumps out and produces a lot of offense like you had seen in other games, like, yeah, we had more high-scoring affairs, and as we'll talk about in game number four, you had certain guys kind of jump out, but you look at the Long Island side, BooK Pals, 3-for-5, and Mazzilli's, uh 2-for-3, that's really about it as far as individual performances go. And on the Lexington side, I guess you could say Revere uh, two for four and then uh, Juan Silvario three for four were kind of like your big producers. But outside of that, it's a lot of no hits, one walk, one hit, no real anything else coming from them. It just was a lot of timely uh, hitting, I guess, from a couple of guys that really got the job done.
1: And that's how games are going to be sometimes, especially yeah. when the, when there is good starting pitchings. It does come down to that timely hitting. I mean, well, let's compare the sides in that then. Yeah. The Ducks, one for six. The Legends, four for eight. There's the game right there. Yeah. Uh, just being able to hit with runners in scoring position. And that's what Lexington, what they hadn't done on the road, they did at home. And they were able to come out with the victory.
0: Absolutely. And at this point now, it's looking, at least momentum-wise, like Lexington kind of has this. Because they have this kind of really big win for them. They stake it in the bottom of the, uh, in the bottom of the eighth. They really come alive. They get that win late. They're riding high coming into this game four, where it's winner take all. You have Zach Westcott on the mountain, a guy who's had a fantastic season, really wherever he's gone so far this year. Of course, you have Joe Iorio on the mound. Opposite of him, one of the better pitchers in the Atlantic League this past year. One of the few guys that's able to keep his ERA respectable uh, to just about anyone. And especially good when you look at it in the Atlantic League lens. And so you think, okay, maybe we're going to have a pitcher's duel. And very quickly on... We learned that that's not at all going to be the case. Lexington strikes for two in the first, four in the second, four in the fourth, and by the sixth inning when they put up their final three runs, we already knew that this game was well out of hand. Long Island manages to scratch two across, one in the second, one in the fifth, but realistically at no point do I think from about the bottom of the second on, did we think Long Island realistically had a chance in this one? Six runs allowed by Oreo, De DeLeon allows four. Feldman allows three. And at that point, it was too far gone. Westcott, on the other hand, goes seven strong. Two earned. Strikes out seven. Really solid performance by him. Rob Carson and Gibson both take care of the job. of Out of the bullpen for the Legends. And we had a Legends Never Say Die victory in a 13-2 final for the Legends to claim their first Atlantic League title. I believe back-to-back titles for them as well, technically, going south of the Atlantic to, League.
1: Back to, well, back-to-back-to-back, to back
0: to back Oh, three in a row. Oh, aren't they fancy?
1: They are fa- They are very fancy. But, yeah, the Ducks just, they needed a better start out of Joe Oreo. They didn't get it. Uh, I mean, the Legends. If, if this, I mean, Courtney Hawkins, three home runs, three home runs. <laughs> I mean, and they hit seven as a team. Like my goodness, uh, it, it, if there was a way for the legends to go out, I mean, this was it. Uh, where they just absolutely took it to uh, the to the ducks, and I mean, they tried to go to Brendan Feldman, one of their starters, to try and stop the bleeding. He couldn't really do it. Uh, I mean, the the legends' offense was just unbelievable. Everyone except Christian Correa uh, got a hit. We got six of the nine guys in their starting lineup had multiple hits. Uh, they just absolutely were all over. And Vladimir Frias continued to be uh, continued to hit well for Long Island for, for the last few games. But this was over quick. Uh, the power of the legends offense really, really showed. And uh, and I mean, Zach Westcott, what else can you say? I mean, how mm-hmm. about how about how about a way to finish that season? For Zach Westcott, just an unbelievable year for him, and um, what 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 better than throwing seven strong innings to to give your team a championship? Just a a perfect game, honestly played by Lexington, and they they was never really in doubt, and uh, they put it away very fast. You knew the champion was after the second inning, really. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it was really just a matter of bleeding down uh, the game at that point. Which I do want to say, Long Island didn't like go away quietly. Frias, like you said, he was three for five. Sanchez was two for four. Flores was two for four. Shaw got a hit. Mazzelli got a hit. Lou Ford got a hit. There was guys trying to get on base, getting it moving. Bukpal drew a walk. Uh, Romero drew a walk as well. Like, guys were getting on base for Long Island. They just weren't really scoring. They just kind of got on base, and then it was kind of... Just left there. I mean, two for 10 in runners in scoring position, it just really isn't it. And when you leave 11 guys on base, that's not uh, not going to do it either. So it's yeah. th- not really – it almost felt like this game was kind of like a microcosm of the Atlantic League season when you get down to it. You had sure. overwhelming offense taking advantage of pitching that was either stretched too thin or wasn't up to the task for whatever reason. And yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and that it's just like the perfect finale there. And of course, you know, that takes nothing away from Lexton. I mean, you had seven home runs in a game and you have what one, two, three guys that have three hit performances. I mean, that's um, outstanding in of itself. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to be upset. I mean, like you said, everyone but Correa got a hit and scored a run. So it's, it's just an amazing performance. And like you said, Zach Westcott, I mean, just just utter dominance. He's definitely probably going to be the uh, pitcher of the week this week in the roundup too. So uh, fantastic job by Lexington. They earned that championship. Obviously we've talked to a lot of guys from Lexington. We've interacted with a lot of guys from Lexington and they've definitely, uh, they're definitely good guys. They definitely deserve the win and they earned the win. So good on them. And I think that kind of closes the book on the Atlantic league season for 2021.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so with that, after a half hour of talking Atlantic League, we're gonna talk a little bit of Frontier League and talk about a little bit of news here and then we'll uh, wrap up after two or three uh news items for this week before we get back to uh I guess trying to figure out off season programming as it were right. next week. So uh what we do have though is some news out of the Frontier League. The Ottawa Titans appoint Bobby Brown as their new manager. I know a lot of you are thinking, you're thinking Steve Brooke is the manager of Ottawa. Apparently he is not anymore. Having read the article, it does not mention anything about uh, Brooke leaving. I just kind of assume, I guess, that due to the border situation and the Titans not playing this year, Brooke and the team parted ways. That's kind of going to be my guess. I just saw this... Really, I was coming back from PA earlier today, so I really haven't had any time to look into it. I guess uh, I'll do some digging around that and see if I can't find some answers here. But Bobby Brown is the new manager. He is 47 years old, been a, been in professional baseball as a player and a coach and other roles uh, for 20 years. He also was the manager of the Lincoln Salt Dogs for a good little bit. Uh, he had success there. I mean, uh, from 16 through 19, he... Managed to have a 52, 58, 51, and 40 win seasons. So while well, not the best 2019 season, winning seasons, the other three. So very respectable there. He's really kind of an American association guy, uh, coaching in Amarillo before that. And then the shortly lived North American and continental baseball leagues also as well there. So all in all, seems like a solid enough hire, you know, a good manager. He has experience. He knows the, the kind of upper brass, I guess, with uh, Sam Katz being obviously a Winnipeg guy. He probably played for Winnipeg for some time as well. He he just seems like a pretty good hire. Obviously, I'm still more of a Brook fan. I was a very big fan of that hire. I think we all were a big fan of that hire. Uh, I understand why that didn't really work out if it's just a matter of it just couldn't work out. But uh, yeah, he's the new manager and good for him.
1: Yeah, I think that it is disappointing i think for ottawa fans so we didn't see what kind of team steve Brooke would be able to put together uh in, in with a in ottawa and i think that's somewhat disappointing bobby brown does seem like a, a solid hire i mean very experienced in professional baseball he's done all kinds of he's done all kinds of things so um, especially on the scouting scouting aspect. so which you have to do a lot of in indie ball um so and he was also of course with the, with the lincoln salt dogs as well. So, uh, very experienced in indie ball. He, he knows what he's doing. Um, and it, it seems like a solid hire. More in, uh, interested about Steve Brook. I mean, it just says that he was on a one year contract, uh, but decided to move on. You know, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, I guess the one year counts even yeah. when they don't. Play? I mean, I guess that's a like, thing.
0: He did kind of, you well, know, yeah, because I mean, if he's hired for a year, he's hired for a year. Whether or not they're taking the field, I guess. Uh, it, technically, he was hired for the 2021 campaign, and if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. So, I guess, but right. he did put together a roster, and a lot of those players wound up having very good seasons in the Frontier League, so that dispersal draft and and elsewhere too. So. Obviously, you know how to put together a team. I and mean, we saw with River City, they're a very successful team. They put uh, a lot of competitive teams on the field. I mean, hell, their last season, they won a championship. So uh, I certainly think Steve Brooks' name has to be added to a lot of open lists. I wonder if possibly going to Gateway is an option. They have an opening at manager. I wonder if even a Stanton Island is a possibility yeah. too. Because yeah. I mean, he's he's got experience and... He's done a lot with a lot of roster constraints being in the frontier league. So you take away those constraints, who knows what could really happen, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I I do, I, do, I think that's an interesting uh, in, interesting point there. I think that, and you don't you don't know. Maybe that's the reason that he's seeing that he sees a possibility for other jobs. Uh, you know, especially you don't know what the come 2022, what kind of restrictions, what kind of hoops and additional hoops you have to drop through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe he just thought it, it'd be better if he either, you know, managed in gateway. We'll see what other jobs open up. Uh, of course with Staten Island as well in the Atlantic league. So we'll have to see. Uh, I think that, and, and you would think if there's another team added into the Atlantic league, I mean, cause adding Staten Island, it makes nine.
0: Right. Uh,
1: so so some a lot left to be figured out on that front. Uh, but definitely, in, I'm sure Ottawa fans are disappointed they don't get to see uh, Steve Brook. Uh, he's an, an elite indie ball manager. I think you could probably oh, use certainly. that word pretty certainly. He's, pretty accurately.
0: He's a top-tier guy, along with Mike Pinto, who's also another guy.
1: Yeah, uh, so I guess we'll, uh, he will be a, a highly sought-after name, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, and, and Bobby Brown seems fine. But uh, I, I think the bigger news is uh, Steve Brooke not being the manager and not getting a chance to build a roster uh, in Ottawa, which really, did, which really was, at the time, a slam dunk hire.
0: Yeah, absolutely there. And let's not forget, too, the Frontier League now has to compensate for Southern Illinois going under as well. So that could even be True. a possible opening, too. We don't know what's going to happen there yet.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, yeah.
0: Yep, so... On that note, we will go to another little piece of news here, and we'll see how long this takes to see whether or not we'll discuss the, <clears throat> the last line item here, which really is kind of a 50-50 year for the week. Uh, the prospect combine for the Pioneer League. They made a deal with the uh, California Winter League to host a November 6th prospect combine in Macon, Georgia. Uh, there is going to be sign-up links for pitchers and position players. Uh, we'll link all that in the show notes. So you go to the website, IndieBallReport.com, if you're a player, and you'll find the link in the show notes tab. Go down to episode 137. should be at the bottom of the page. And you'll be able to click the direct link to the Pioneer League site that has the links to the sign-up page for these tryouts. Um, it just seems like there's a, a nice kind of just joint partnership there uh there's a lot of names involved with the california winter league that are well known uh two uh indie ball guys like stan clyburn and uh, he's one of those guys that's heavily involved in that uh, i know the they're really really interested in pitchers i remember seeing with oh, yeah. the frontier league pe- president he talked about that he's like offense is nice we like that we have an offensive league we play to that but this year was a little too much. We need to up the pitching talent in this league. So I would encourage anyone that uh, can throw a baseball above 85 miles an hour to, if you're interested in playing not, pro That
1: is not me. Yeah.
0: Well, it's not anyone on this show. I can tell you that. Hell, there's probably only about three or four guests that we've had in this show that could probably throw the ball that hard. Uh, right. So... And one of them technically, I think, was a U.S. Olympian. So, I mean, you yeah, really sure. shouldn't feel bad about that. Uh, but
1: it, it seems like a good idea, though.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. If you've got pitching talent, hey, give it a shot if you want to play pro ball. But, yeah, you'd, I like to see these partnerships. Obviously, the California Winter League is where a lot of guys get signed out of. I know uh, Tillman Pugh was a former California yeah. Winter Leaguer as well.
1: And that, and that worked out very well. So.
0: Yep, certainly.
1: Um, so, I, I think that you know, you're just trying to look for pitching. And it, and I know it's not directly related to this, but it's kind of funny. Remember when the Pioneer League had a, uh, had a mid-season showcase? I do remember that, yeah. It, remember, it was like $75 for position players and pitchers were free? Yeah. That, and, or it was either just like, it was a half the price or something. Yeah, it was heavily,
0: those. heavily discounted it for it because they were really, I don't want to say desperate for pitching, but I mean, that's probably the best way of describing it. They really needed pitching. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was something else, which, yeah, so yeah, go ahead. I,
1: I think that just any way you could find more pitching. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of good names associated with this. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense for, for a league like the Pioneer League to try and find uh, guys who can pitch in their league. I think it's, you know, it seems like a, so- a solid idea.
0: Yep, certainly, certainly it is. So with that, we'll go to the last piece of news here because we do have a little bit of time to talk about this. Uh, we do have attendance numbers that came out, Ballpark Digest, uh, who, for whatever reason, has apparently blocked uh, Indie Ball Report on Twitter. I don't really know why, but we've been blocked, apparently. So, with that, <laughs> for, for whatever reason, we're blocked. So, with that said, we're going to still promote their stuff because they do quality work, and it'd be weird not to promote quality work. Uh, they put out all the attendance numbers. You can find... All of this information if you go through each of the league sites. But this is a lot easier when it's all in one table. Although I wish you could be able to sort the table. That would really help out for this. But the attendance numbers are down. Obviously. They've been going down in some manner for years now. But some teams do see a little bit of a bump. Even the miners, Which is a team which normally draws well. Sussex County that is. Got a little bit of a bump. Got a 0.1% uh, percent bump. So that's a solid uh, showing there. And... The team that finished last in attendance, on average, uh, when you take the total home attendance and then divide it by the amount of home opens, surprised me. Because the Cleburne Railroaders, a team that seemingly is promoting themselves constantly, and had a very good ball club this year. They only drew a little over a 1,000 people per game, and that's with 55 openings. And I was very surprised by that.
1: Yeah, I was surprised too. I, I think that it, it's interesting for them at least because... They didn't have a lot of COVID restrictions. For example, I think for a team like Long Island, they still led all of Partner League Baseball in attendance by about a thousand uh, on mm-hmm. average. So they would have done better for if they didn't have to play at a, uh, whatever the percentage yeah. they had to play at the beginning of the year. I, I don't yeah. really remember. That was a, what long a time ago.
0: capacity.
1: Sure, sure. So uh, I, I think that that's just that's uh, it's interesting though for a team like Cleburne who seemed to have a lot of success they're in Texas they don't have to deal with a lot of those restrictions so that's something that they'll that they'll have to figure out as well I mean a couple other things I definitely wanted to point out on this mm-hmm. um the Pioneer League is doing it did a lot better as an independent league than a uh than a affiliated league and I would not have guessed that
0: yeah I certainly would have wouldn't have either and like yeah their total attendance was down like if you look at their like kind of total number compared to the other ones but they saw the largest increase in the uh percentage wise they gained 0.17 percent. Uh, if i'm yeah. reading the chart right yeah they they went up and their average attendance for openings obviously they played the fewest amount of games but they're second only to the atlantic league so they mm-hmm. did very well I mean, yeah. they saw over a 1,000 or 100,000 extra people come through the turnstiles. And I was yeah. not expecting that from that league.
1: I don't know. I mean, the Ogden Raptors, I mean, three like 3,400 a game. Like, my God. Yeah. It's, it's great.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, like, even if you want to start looking through some of the other ones, you have uh, Great Falls, the Voyagers, 1,400 a game. You have Missoula, the Paddleheads, at about 1,600 a game. Grand Junction, they have about 1,600 a game. You can keep going down the list here. You have the Idaho, Idaho Falls Shuckers, 2,300 a game. Billings, Montana, they have 24, uh, 2,400 a game. It just keeps going. Rocky Mountain Vibes, just under 3,000 a game at 2,800 a game. Boise Hawks, 26. It just keeps going. Like, they they did a really, really solid job here. And obviously, Long Island's just the class of everything. They're averaging about 4,000, ever so slightly over 4,000 a game. And that is a reduction for them. But even still, they they did very well. And I just want to point out, Schaumburg percentage-wise is nearly exactly the same. They only had about 700 less people come to games. Right. That's something else. That's just kind of freaky how they're exactly the same, essentially.
1: Yeah, I mean a couple other things. Like, I mean Lexington and their move uh, to the Atlantic League. They they did pretty well attendance wise. I'm sure they would take that. I know they had big crowds for their two championship series games, up around 43 to 4500. Yeah. Uh, so certainly for October uh, in October indie ball on short notice, like yeah, that that's that's definitely a good sign. For them, I, I think uh, I'm trying to see if there's yep. any other. Also, ones. both of those being them.
0: weekdays as well, Monday and Tuesday, that that hurts yep. your attendance too.
1: Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So, uh, I think that's certainly a good thing for them. You know, Tri City did pretty well as a first year in the Frontier League, uh, right around thirty four hundred. Uh, of course, you can you you know you're going to have some sort of reduction as far as from affiliated. In most cases, I guess not the Pioneer Pioneer League. Yeah, uh, but and as far as I'm trying to find wherever the uh the West Virginia Power so, oh there it yeah, is. Yeah, they're under Charleston, Charleston I think. Charles. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously didn't they didn't have a great first season attendance-wise but I think it'll be interesting to see if a lot of these bounce back uh, with COVID next year and, mm. uh, and everyone was pretty much down. We'll see if that trend continues cuz I mean I think in some places it won't. We'll we'll have to see.
0: Yeah, and obviously like Gastonia they come in at just under 2,000 for their opening season. We're talking about averages here. Total attendance doesn't really do as much justice. It's harder to conceptualize that. They're better than high point two. High points kind of struggle here, but they had, you know, a little bit of trouble getting the stadium ready their first year. And now COVID in year two... So I kind of cut them a break, although both North Carolina teams, you'd like to see, especially for the Atlantic League, that number go up because they are below the the average in the Atlantic League. The Atlantic League's average is 2,500. They're at about 2,000 and about 1,900 a game. So on one case, 600 people fewer, and the other one, 500 fewer. So you'd like to see that number go up and get at least to 22 on both counts going into the 2022 season. I think that should probably be their goal here because, I mean, there comes a certain point where you got to stop making excuses for why high points attendance is down, especially when you're in a college town and you're in this supposedly really kind of up-and-coming city that has like this really energetic crowd that comes to a certain point where it's like, okay, let's see if they can turn out regularly.
1: Right. I, I do agree. I think, I think next year you're going to have to see some movement in that. Yeah. I, I would probably agree with that.
0: Exactly. So that's kind of where I land on this. Obviously, of course, you're also going by Indie ball which is kind of notoriously not the most reliable um, information available. They. Always are good to fudge the numbers a little bit. So, with that said, we kind of uh, are at the end of the line here, news-wise. I don't think there's anything else left that we have to really cover this week. Obviously, we're recording on uh, Wednesday night uh, for this go-around here. Normally, we go on Friday morning, but I'm busy on uh, Friday and Saturday. So, to make this, I guess, feasible this week, I want to be able to edit this on Thursday and then we're going to try and do a scheduled upload of this for Saturday. And we're going to see if that works. And if it doesn't, we're going to have a really fun time figuring that out on the fly.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: I've never done that scheduled up upload before. So hopefully it works out fine. If not, I'm going to be either figuring that out, uh, on a car ride back from a uh, law school visit or I'm going to be figuring that out on a car ride up to Connecticut one or the other so uh, hopefully that all works out here but uh, we might as well just get to the plugs here and then we'll get out of here if you want to follow the show you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod you can follow us on Instagram at IndieBallReport you can also follow us at ALPB underscore news Likewise, if you want links to everything we discussed today, I know we talked about a tryout that has links in that article. Go to the website, indiebarreport.com. There's articles on that, mainly alumni updates, weekly roundups, but there's also some other stuff in there as well. Uh, it, you can find all that there. You can find the show notes that have the links to everything on the website too, and the episodes and some various graphic projects as well. They don't get updated as much, but hey, there's, they're there for you to look at too. Uh, with that said, I just, With that said, I just want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts to help the show grow. We're going to be planning our off-season, I guess, kind of set up here in the immediate future. We know we're going to be bringing back interviews rather heavily. People seem to like them. We like doing them, so we're definitely going to be doing that. I think this year we're going to kind of mix players into the mix more. We're going to try and mix some more coaches in there as well as our usual media and management types as well. So uh, we're going to be doing that. We're going to try and figure out some other fun things to do. We may revisit that uh, indie ball hall of fame type thing. We may try and figure out some other things. But uh, if you have suggestions, be sure to hit us up on the social medias we just mentioned to give them to us for the off season. And with that said, do we have anything else? Left to add.
1: Oh, well, the Devils are 2 out, so we'll see how long that lasts.
0: Well, that's disappointing to me, but you know, I really don't have uh, anything to add outside of I'm heading up to Quinnipiac this weekend, which is kind of the reason why we're recording when we are recording to see my North Dakota hockey play the Quinnipiac Bobcats. I have tickets to both games of the weekend series, the Friday and the Saturday. The Friday, I'm looking at the law school and then seeing the game. The other one, I'm going up with a couple of buddies to see the game, and it's going to be a very fun time. I expect it to be about a 50-50 split in the arena between North Dakota fans and Quinnipiac fans. It's a battle of two top 10 teams. In fact, number six, North Dakota, and number seven, Quinnipiac, if we want to get down to specifics. So really looking forward to that, and that will probably be my thing to add for next week as well. Uh, and I also do not expect to have much of a voice left on Sunday, so that'll be a a fun weekend for me.
1: I, that sounds... You've been talking about it for a while, so I, I, ho- I hope it's a fun time. hope not. North Dakota comes
0: out I'm on top. I'm, look, I'm going into this with real estate expectations. A series split, and I'll call it good. I just don't want them swept. I don't think they will. I think they match up pretty well against Quinnipiac. And technically speaking, we're 4-0 all-time against Quinnipiac, including a early season sweep of the Bobcats back in 20- 2006 a round one beat down in the regional a uh, handful of years back and then of course the national championship from a few years back where they just kind of bludgeoned them to death in the third period and obviously took the national title and that was uh, one hell of a north dakota team that has like seven nhlers on it but yep looking forward to that so with that said and nothing else left to add don't forget to play ball